Hello and welcome back to In Short. I'm your host, Alicia, an audiobook producer and director, and every other week we'll open with a new author's short story that we've recorded for you. Then, following each, I'll be sitting down to chat with the author. We'll talk about writing, the spark of inspiration, and the process of recording and narrating their story. Then, at the end of this mini-series, I'll be trying to write and narrate my own short story, informed by all the wonderful people I've talked with. We'll also have bonus episodes focusing on audiobooks along the way. Chats with industry professionals, interviews with authors, and anyone else I can get to talk to me about audiobooks. This week, we have a short story by Elizabeth Dwyer. Elizabeth Dwyer is a multifaceted writer with bylines, screenwriter credits, and published essays. She wrote and co-produced two award-winning short films, Imagining Vera and Pinky Promise, and two of her academic essays were published in the collection When Women Wrote Hollywood, Essays on Female Screenwriters in the Early Film Industry. After earning an MFA in TV and screenwriting through Stevens College, Elizabeth's scripts have placed in numerous competitions, including the Austin Film Festival, the ISA Fast Track Fellowship, the Colour Creative Teen Movie Contest, We Screen Play, Diverse Voices, and George R.R. Martin's Screenwriting Grant. The foundation of Elizabeth's writing is to tell inclusive, engaging stories that speak in particular to queer and female-identified people from all walks of life. The stories she writes champion those of us who are too often relegated to the margins, illuminating our humanity through universal themes that are accessible to a broad spectrum of audiences and communities. She also writes short-form feminist erotica under a pen name, with a focus on LGBTQ plus and non-binary smut. In addition to her myriad word nerd interests, Elizabeth is also an actor, singer, director, and novice photographer, further exploring the connective thread that links all creative endeavors and ambitions. So please, sit back and enjoy this week's short story, recorded from Elizabeth's Blanket Fort in New Mexico. Getting By by Elizabeth Dwyer. Janie adjusted her glasses and looked around the cavernous hotel ballroom. She wondered if any actual balls were ever held here. She supposed maybe weddings, but in her heart of hearts she really hoped not. The decor was seriously depressing. Tacky cartoon cowboy hats, giant stars, and saguaro cacti decorated the carpet. Because they were in Phoenix? The message was unclear. The contrasting white line at the top of her new Ray-Bans pulled Janie's focus for about the 16th time that morning. The hip eyewear had been a gift from her far more successful sister, and Janie was still adjusting to the frames. She probably would have traded them in if Sophia in accounting hadn't cocked her most irresistible grin and shot a nice glasses at her the first time Janie wore them. Sadly, Sophia from accounting wasn't at this joke of a conference. The room was populated by more than a thousand doctors, except for Janie's table, where she huddled with the rest of the marketing team. The keynote speaker was using the event of her mother's death to illustrate the do's and don'ts of patient care. The way she told the story felt inauthentic and performative, to such a degree that Janie was startled by her own cynicism. She stared down at her forearm tattoo, a relic from the late 90s, an era full of wickedness and possibility. 
Laughably naive, 20-year-old Janie never dreamed she would spend most of her adult life diligently crafting weekly hospital newsletters full of essential updates that no one read. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. A single tiny rosebud punctuated the line of poetry. Technically Walt Whitman, but for most of Janie's generation, it was a quote from the movie Dead Poets Society. Janie sent up her 8,722nd prayer of thanks to her best friend Shannon, who so wisely dissuaded her from decorating the quote with a long, twisty, snake-like vine of roses and thorns. That was back when Janie was cool. They were both painters, Janie and Shannon, living with two other girls in a pocket-sized Brooklyn loft in the Gowanus neighborhood back when it was decidedly uncool. They worked side by side, blaring Toriemos and attacking canvases until their fingers cramped or the sun came up, whichever came first. Stripping out of their coveralls, they would throw open the windows and greet the new day in their underwear before collapsing on their single opulent possession, an Edward Wormley sofa inherited from Shannon's grandma. A solemn vow since art school, instead of critiquing their work, they basked in it, luxuriating in the glow of their respective visions come to life. The swooping textures of Shannon's abstract figures prop next to Janie's surrealist landscapes and self-portraits. This is our poetry, Shannon grinned, her brilliant white teeth shining against pink lips and brown skin. She laughed at her own pretension, giggling through the puff of smoke that floated up from her lips, passing the joint to Janie. A sharp elbow in her side jolted Janie back to the present. It was her co-worker, Romero, hissing in her ear. You're up! Janie looked around, taking in the forced smiles staring at her over cursory applause. Clutching her notes, she made her way to the harshly lit stage with its too loud microphone and towering presentation screens, like someone thought this healthcare leadership conference was the Super Bowl of healthcare leadership conferences. Good morning! Janie's voice reverberated off the walls. Wow, that's quite an echo. Her light smile met a sea of bored faces. Someone coughed in the back. Janie cleared her throat, shuffled her note cards. My name is Jane McLaughlin, and I'm the Senior Chief Vision Officer for our health system. Once she made it past her ridiculous title with a straight face, Janie spent the next 12 and a half minutes of her life saying words that meant nothing to a room full of people who didn't care. With her notes in front of her and someone else manning the slides, Janie barely even heard what she was saying. Instead... Her focus landed on a painting, near the stage and to her right, braced against the margarine-colored wall. At first it looked like all the other paintings, tacky hotel art serving as surface filler. But as her eyes adjusted to the garish lighting, Janie saw something else. It was a dark, saturated landscape, featuring a strip of beach increasingly overcome by ocean. The waves were so active Janie could feel them moving forward, encroaching on more and more of the tiny strip of land. The effect was so overwhelming, Janie had to look away to finish her banal speech. There was one more pointless speaker after her, then they were released from corporate captivity for a 15-minute stretch break. Janie stretched her mind in front of the painting. She stared up at it, feeling the pull of the waves. They rocked her back and forth with a sinister comfort. They reminded Janie of a story she read a long time ago about a 19th century woman so at odds with the confines of her conventional life she'd walked into the ocean at the end of the book. Walked in and just kept going. 
Even then, Janie remembered that in the midst of her heartbreak, she'd been happy for that woman. Someone passed behind her, offering a bland compliment about her presentation. Janie forced a smile, eked out a thank you, and turned back to the painting. Her thoughts drifted back to the loft with Shannon, the last time Janie had really felt like herself. They drifted to Shannon now, still in New York, in a much higher loft in a far loftier neighborhood, her latest show opening in Manhattan among the clamor of art world adulations. They drifted to her own paintings, crammed in a storage unit, gathering dust, a collection of canvases warped by the Arizona heat. They drifted back to Janie's office, where she would show up tomorrow morning to be greeted by the same desk full of nothing. Her thoughts drifted west, toward the ocean, where Janie wondered what it would feel like to walk into the waves and allow herself to be gently, treacherously, pulled under and carried away. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to have you here, having read some of your stuff as well as Getting By, which we just listened to. Having someone on the podcast who has is not only a very experienced writer, but also has performance backgrounds. So it's great having you here for that. Yeah, it's been really fun. I had a great time doing that recording with you. You are an awesome director. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you you write a lot. It's not just short stories. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start in with short stories, and then we might talk about like plays and screenwriting and what those differences are. So tell me what it is about short stories. What is it that got you into that medium? You know, I I have only dabbled. I'm going to be honest, and the <laughs> but I what I love about it is that it is such a contained. space. Base. It's such a slice of a moment in time. There isn't as much pressure to necessarily follow, you know, an extended, long mm. journey that a character goes through, which is also a really fun thing to write. But I, I find just the sort of concise uh, snippet of a character's life, of a person's life, is really powerful and impactful. And um, our mutual friend, she is a an avid short story writer, and I've always mm. loved reading her work, and she's definitely bought a lot of collections of short stories <laughs> for me to read. <laughs> and I really just love uh, getting to have that immediate intimacy with someone or with, you know, the cast of characters involved, and then and then leaving them to go on their way and, and to whatever their fate might be instead of having to kind of tie things up in a tidy bow, which I'm not a fan of the tidy bow. So I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm quite a fan of the slightly dissatisfying ending. Yes. So I'm, I'm there with you. Um, I'm, I love the idea, like the slice of life um, element of it. And, and coming from a theatre background myself, um, I'm really interested in sort of what is it that tells you that an idea is a short story instead of a novel, instead of a play, instead of a film. Like I've always said that when ideas come to me, I instantly know what it is, but I can't put my finger on why. Is that something you've thought around? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, you mentioned that we will discuss other mediums and I will confess right now that I've never actually written a play because when I first 
tried to. I took it to my playwright friends and they said, this is a movie. <laughs> I, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that it's been really interesting for me from that point to try to figure out, you know, is this a feature film? Is it a TV pilot? Something that is mm. capable. And, you know, in those mediums, it's very much a do a story. Is it a story I want to tell in two hours that I can tell in two mm. hours or less? Or is it a story yeah. that I want to spend a hundred episodes with, which is a very different story. Mm. So I think that is a huge part of it for me is like, is how, how can you best serve this story? And when it comes to novels versus short stories, I think it's a similar experience where, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's an idea where I can kind of see the beginning and the end immediately, mm -hmm. then it feels like that has the potential to be a short story or something more contained. Whereas a right. novel is, you know, something that comes to me and I think it's going to take a lot, a, a lot of words, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of words to tell this story properly. I find that really interesting because I, the first time I wrote a play, um, I had, I was in university and I gave it to my instructor um, and he said to me, oh, this is a novel. Oh. This should be a novel. <laughs> and so I was like, so what is it that makes it a novel? And he was just like, I don't know. <laughs> and so, so that was a really informative moment for me. But when you gave your first play, mm -hmm. or the play that is apparently a movie, it's a movie. Uh, yep. Did they did they tell you did they tell you why it was? Did you kind of dig into that? Yeah, we did dig into it. I, I'm fortunate to have a lot of playwright friends, and we have talked a lot about the different mediums. And <clears throat> the thing is, I always thought I would be a natural playwright because I am very into dialogue. I love mm. writing dialogue. I love banter between characters it's just it's kind of my mm -hmm. happy place but when it comes to the stories that I write I tend to just write dialogue heavy films because they're very visual like the medium mm. that I write in tends to be very visual and I create a lot of cinematic situations and landscapes and all of that so when it comes to trying to present something on a stage usually yeah. the stories that I write are kind of are too big for the stage essentially is how it was explained to me um, so even the smaller films that I, the smaller, quote, more intimate character driven things I've written tend to be, you know, multiple locations and, you know, you watch a lot of things happen. <laughs> you watch things unfold in a way that you don't on stage. You know, so much of what you see on a stage is characters talking to each other. There's, yeah. you know, when you look at um, play scripts, it's very, they're almost exclusively dialogue. I mean, of course, there's, there are action lines and things like that, but yeah, so that's where that's where I was nudged toward, and I'm actually working on my first theatrical piece right now. But it's a solo piece, so there's oh, it's a, which is a different, a wholly different medium in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. I'll report back on how that adventure unfolds. So, do you find yourself gravitating more to sort of film and TV, sort of that aspect with the versatility of being able to go wherever very quickly? Yeah, I think that there's something to that for sure. I think that um, I just I've yet to have an idea that landed in me as a play. And I think mm. that's a huge part of why is because I tend to bounce around in the world quite a lot um, in the world of my my shows. But I would love I would love to have an idea. I mean, you know, plays are so easy to generate. Like you can put on your own play <laughs> uh, a lot easier yeah. than you can make your own movie. So mm. it would be great to have an idea for something that felt like, yes, I can do this in a 
you know, in a space <laughs> on a stage or, you know, in a, in a room with other people. Um, that would be amazing. But yeah, I, so far there's a lot of moving around in time and space. So that is much easier to do on film. Well, I mean, that's so different to getting by, which is all very much in that one space, that one moment. You paint the space so beautifully. Um, so before we get on to actually talking about getting by and how, how you came to that idea, yeah, how does the short story relate to the sort of the film writing? Well, I have written a couple of short films and so those mm. and produced them with uh, an amazing team of friends and filmmakers. And I think it's a similar process where, you know, I mean, both of those films were a little guided by um, parameters given for different contests we were entering and things like that. Mm. But I think that's what appeals to me is that there are parameters. Like you're not right. going to go for two hours. You don't have the pressure of, you know, finding, of filling the pages of the world with all of that. You can just go right for it, get right to the point craft these worlds and these characters that are very succinct both of those plays are or, sorry both of those films are under 10 minutes so mm -hmm. you know it's about the script the first script is I think eight pages and the second is 10 so right. it's, they're really concise and I think that there's just something to the um, immediacy that really appeals to me so I guess it's that argument between what do you um, what do you fill the pages with, and then in this case, what do you leave out? Exactly. What, what is the most important? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just honing right down into the the crux of it. Like, who is this person? What do they want? What's in their way? How are they going to get it? That brings us so beautifully onto getting by because I think that you um, have crafted a story that is just so relatable I know exactly who she is I feel like I've been there I feel like I've I've had that moment sat at a desk that was you know not creative not in a uh, theater space or audio space or whatever mm -hmm. um feeling oh my gosh what am I doing with my life how is this gonna end could it end that sort of thing and I think you've done that so beautifully in such a tiny tiny amount of time thank you <laughs> so Tell me, how did how did you get to getting by? How, how did you come across that idea? Well, I was at a healthcare leadership conference. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, you know, I have a day job in communication and marketing. And the conference itself, it literally was a room full of about a thousand doctors. And my boss was on maternity leave. So I was left in charge of doing the presentation for this particular um, event. And it was just terrible. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, there was part of me that was resting a little on my laurels as a performer, like, this will be no problem, la da 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 mm. And I just wasn't counting on how completely disengaged an audience, you know, of a thousand doctors who are required to be at this thing that they don't want to be at. It was, it was, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, Wow. And so there it's was a bit a... different to uh, then playing to a house of people who have paid to see a play, right? Exactly. Who have <laughs> paid to be entertained and are like, excited about mm. it. And yeah. Um, so there was a lunch break and I just felt so despondent about going back into that world of, of you know, sort of corporate. I mean, healthcare mm. is corporate. There's no getting around it. Uh, that sort of corporate environment. And, and in, so instead I kind of played hooky. There were these breakout sessions I was supposed to go to and I just didn't. I sat in a hallway in this 
you know, big hotel convention center yeah. ballroom thing and wrote that story instead. Slightly autobiographical in that yeah. moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, although I do want to be clear, I've I've actually never gotten to the point of thinking about walking into the ocean. Um, right. But I, it was definitely one of those moments where I could see how you could really how easily... How someone might get there. Yeah, how you could so easily get there, for sure. Yeah, I think... It, it felt it felt so real. And so it makes sense that the story kind of came from a place of like lived experience. You were there with that sort of um, dissatisfied, despondent reaction. And I, I find the sort of the concept of the audience so fascinating um, because you don't only write for short stories where you don't have that immediate response, but you're an actor who has been you know, on stage, you get that applause regularly. Even on a film set, you get the film set, like the film crew's response. Yeah. Um, and so that's really interesting, the, uh, the, the interaction of what an audience can do in a moment. I was in, myself, a corporate setting a couple of um, uh, years ago, mm-hmm. and I had been talking to my boss, and I was saying something about, you know, well, you know, this is kind of a group of people that are not really used to active listening. And he looked at me and he was like, what? And I said, and I was like, active listening, like that being in the space, being present, nodding, you know, really giving them that feedback so that they know that, you know, that they're doing well and that what they're giving is valuable. And he was like, oh, I've never thought of it like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, like that for me seems so second nature because mm-hmm. in theatre, I always wanted to be active in that moment, something about being a part of it. Yeah. Um, and so I can imagine why in that moment as a performer and having that direct contrast to what you're used to is, uh, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting and it was really uh, disheartening, <laughs> I guess is the right yeah. word. Um, and I, you know, in order, really, I made her a painter to keep it from being too autobiographical. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then also... Um, there was no painting of the waves. I, I made that one up, but it, uh, I really did just, I started thinking about, um, the awake the awakening, that book by Kate. And I don't know how you say it, if it's Chopin or Chopin, Chopin, um, where the protagonist, the heroine does walk into the ocean at the end of mm. the book and how much it really imprinted on me as a teenager, yeah. Uh, when I first read it and thought, you know, and I genuinely did feel like, oh, you're finally free in death. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> it interesting. Was, it was a really uh, jarring sensation. It's been a sweet moment. Yeah. And, and so because you do feel like proud of her and happy for her that she was able to make this terrible, brave choice to escape you know, all of the repression of her life, um, which is a strange thing to feel for someone who just uh, made that decision. So, mm. um so I, I can't really say how that came to me in that moment, except that I was thinking about the confines of, of what, you know, artists are forced to do every single day just to live and survive. And I mean, they call them survival jobs, yes, right? Yeah, exactly. And they really are. And it's such a, a challenging thing to be in that space mm. when you are someone who feels so completely called to do something else and I think that that's one of the things that you know a lot of people who aren't uh, pursuing creative careers are are a little um, unfamiliar with is this idea that it's not just like oh I want to be an actor because it's fun or like I want to be a writer because it's such a cool job It's, it's a lot of work and it's really hard and 
and it's there are no guarantees and there's no rule you know guidebook on how to get there you really do need some sort of magical element of pixie dust to come your way yeah and, <laughs> like lift you up into that space of like now you are making a living making your art absolutely and it's really overwhelming and I think that there are like you said it, it did feel really relatable because everyone I know who is an artist and has had to have a survival job at any point in their lives can right. has their own version of this story a friend of mine um, was set to have her sort of Broadway debut just before pandemic happened. Um, and I recently bumped into her um, at a store and she was sort of behind the counter and she uh, said, yeah, well, now I'm stuck here slinging sausages. Um, and like it was that just stark contrast. And she has been working hard as like in every way that every actor in New York does or anywhere does and then pandemic struck and uh, and it, so it feels like not only am I so relating to the idea of everyday life and that sort of struggle between art and paying your bills and, and that sort of sense of, you know, real self-calling that you talked about but I think the pandemic has, has emphasised that even more showing sort of artists how fragile that existence was even when they were taking jobs just for survival and so I think it's even more relevant than ever. Yeah, absolutely that is a really heartbreaking story my heart goes yeah, out to your friend set, <laughs> they, are set to, they are set to open again, it's not one of those that's just been closed um, but yeah it's it is it's heartbreaking and I mean as someone who I find a lot of my energy from writing being on my own I'm not sort of in the theater like I'm not on stage anymore it's not something that is the thing that feeds my energy mm-hmm. um but I remember when it was and like this moment I can't imagine how that is feeling for so many people. Yeah, to get so close. And, you know, and I'm sure there are also plenty of people who were in the beginnings of building that, you know, who were in the middle of their first show or and and it can feel like such a huge break to have, you know, that step up toward what you're doing. And I mean, I took a I took a hiatus from my film acting as well. I my agent mm-hmm. put me on an inactive status up until very recently because I just started getting vaccinated. Yay! Yay! Uh, <laughs> congratulations! Thank you. Um, so it's uh, and it was a hard decision to make, but it just didn't feel worth the risk because I have a child and she has grandparents, and um, you know, even though I spent so much of my life building toward you know I wanted to make movies ever since I was a very small child, and yeah, I didn't get my SAG card until I was. 36 and pregnant. Oh my with... gosh, it takes so long. Oh my God, it took so long. Well, now the irony, of course, is that I see nepotism in action because my daughter has already been in a short film with me and the producer right. friend of mine called and said, we're doing Taft-Hartley's, which is a way to be SAG eligible. Do you want one for mm. your daughter? And I was like... <laughs> This thing like, I work, well, yes, yeah, of course. But this thing I like slaved away my entire life for, I'm now just like handing to her. Um, so oh, yeah, gosh, <laughs> yes. But it was a really difficult decision to pause something that because um, New Mexico has a lot of you know a really vibrant film and TV industry right now, mm. and um, and of course, as soon as I started to focus on my writing, I started getting more. TV roles <laughs> so, naturally <laughs> naturally um, yeah so it was it was not an easy choice to make but I'm just hoping that I can kind of pick up where I left off and keep doing that work but we'll see it's real TBD right now 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of things, uh, very, very much in the TBD lay of the land. Um, one of the things we spoke about when uh, we recorded is I had said how lovely your voice is, as <laughs> the you. listeners will have heard. Um, and I'd asked you if you'd ever considered narrating audiobook. So mm-hmm. I want to get into the audiobook conversation um, part of this um, and sort of have a chat around that. First of all, like, are you a listener of audiobooks? Is this something that is a big part of your life? Is it not? Why? Why not? Let's dig in. Well, podcasts and audiobooks are really challenging for me because they're the kinds of things I want to, I wish I could put on while I, you know, mm. do fold the laundry or do the dishes or something like that. But I get so engrossed in a story. I mean, the last time, <laughs> the, so I have one audiobook that I really committed to listening to because my friend Robin wrote it and she the book and then she narrated it herself because she's also oh, wonderful an actress um so everyone go get the audiobook version of the idea of you by robin lee because i'll link it it is in the show notes. oh god please thank you it's so brilliant she's incredible she d- you know does all kinds of different voices um in the book in the story and it is r- so impressive and that to me is like is next level talent <laughs> uh <laughs> for example um so i I got so distracted by the story she was telling, even though I'd already read the book. So I knew what was going to happen. But, you know, I did that thing where I just sort of stopped folding the laundry and I was sitting there on the couch for like half an hour before I realized (laughs) I had stopped doing my chore. So I find it really hard to set aside the time, uh, which is what I really need to do is set aside the time. But I will say that Robin set a standard for me in terms of, you know, if you're going to narrate your own book, you better be as good as Robin because she was just so skillful in the work that, you know, we've never been anything but very platonic friends. And when she shifts into her Hayes voice and he's like a British boy band star, (laughs) you know, I was like, oh, a little flustered. (laughs) Robin. a whole other side of you. So yeah, it was, um, it's a really beautiful and impressive uh, body of work. And I just, that is the kind of thing where I started to think, dang, if this is what audiobooks are like, I should listen to more of them. This is really fun. Yeah, it's something that I am, I'm on a mission to, to let people know is that I think audiobooks have come such a long way from when I first listened to audiobooks Mm -hmm. sort of when I was a kid and they were sort of just people reading a book Mm -hmm. it it didn't feel like a performance but like now they really do like they really are performances in and of themselves they are an adaptation this is something that I I talk about a little bit um, and I'm only just kind of getting to grips with the whys and the the hows of what I'm thinking Mm -hmm. Um, but I really think it's an adaptation rather than just someone reading. It's 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 the same process you go through when you put on a play. You have to read it. You have to mark it up. You have to think of voices and pronunciations and characters and all these different things. Yeah. Um, and so I would say maybe the audience isn't quite there in how to talk about audiobooks. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the things I really wanted to know um, sort of from your opinion. One of the things I say to people getting into audiobooks, um, and which has been a lot of people asking advice over the last year, mm-hmm. um, a lot of actors saying, you know, well, could I do this? And every single time I say, yeah, absolutely you could do this. It's something you could absolutely do if you put that time, you put that effort in and you learn that it is different than it is to performing for stage. It's oh, yeah. different than performing for screen. Um, and I haven't quite put my finger on why. 
and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm starting to sort of build my little bubble around what I think that is, but I'd love to get your perspective on why do you think that, what, what do you think the difference is between the different mediums um, and audiobooks specifically? What is it that makes them different from stage and screen? Well, first and foremost, you lose your visual element. Mm. So you don't, I mean, most actors, especially if you have your root in theater, which I feel, you know, even if you started in film, you should go take a theater class as an actor because right. it's so valuable. Um, you're really, we're really used to relying on our bodies, our physical expression of what's happening. You know, you, even, you know, film is a lot more subtle in terms of your visual cues and reactions to things and whatnot. But uh, whether it's the subtlety of film or making it a lot, you know, uh, bigger for the stage, you still are able to demonstrate things <laughs> without uh, needing to rely on your voice. And mm -hmm. in just even doing this very short story with you, it was clear to me that any sort of feeling I had about it or, you know, anything I was experiencing in that space of Janie's world had to come through in my voice. And, mm -hmm. you know, the stops and starts that we did felt a lot yeah. very similar to actually filming a scene. Um, yeah. Because that, you know, unlike theater, where you end up just performing it live for an audience film, you do mm -hmm. a, a lot of stopping and starting, especially when you're first working through a scene. So that was really similar, but it was it was so concentrated into making sure that it came through for the listening audience. Like I actually uh, told my person about your instruction to smile through a line because the mm -hmm. smile will be heard in the story. And I could hear it when I listened. I thought, oh, that was me yeah. smiling. <laughs> just, just like Alicia <laughs> said, I can I can hear the smile, which is so great. So I think, you know, and in, if I think about Robin's performance, for example, and how you know, the thing of making those different character voices and, you know, she was giving people different accents and she speaks multiple languages. So, of course, there's this sense of, you know, um, if you really want to commit to this work, I, I immediately thought, well, I would have to go back to dialect class and <laughs> right? work on my accents. And I'd probably want to brush up on my Spanish so I could offer multilingual language yeah. readings. And, you know, so I think that if you are an actor looking to do this work, just be ready to do more voice work than you've done in a really long time, probably. Yeah. Unless you're somebody yeah. who's just really skilled there and has already studied it for a long, long time, then yeah, I think it would be um, the cultivating of your voice work is is going to be pretty essential. Yeah, it's like putting a microscope on one specific element of acting and kind of really, really honing in. I'm thinking around it a lot. I'm trying to identify what it is that I feel is so different about the the experience mm -hmm. of listening to or performing um, and I kind of got stuck on this idea of space and place and the idea that stage is like you have huge buildings mm -hmm. dedicated to these performances you have you're already setting your audience up for a certain experience and then with film um, you're you're curating these places for this scene to happen, mm -hmm. um, and then people will watch them in their own spaces that they've curated to experience it. Mm -hmm. And then with audiobooks, you haven't designed a space for it. They have to travel with you. They have to be able to go everywhere. Right. Um, and so many people do, like do they do the laundry? They go running. They go to the shops they go on their commute when the commute's happening like so the idea of something 
needing to come through and be so detailed and brilliant and captivating that through all those moments it can still capture your attention I think there's yeah there's something about a ring of authenticity I think a lot of um, actors when they get into audio work I feel like they mistake the microscope for needing to be louder in their right. sort of, not necessarily volume but in their performance sure 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 um, and so yeah I, I, so I'm starting to think around this it's interesting because I I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking that um, film actors might find people who do predominantly film might find it a little easier to tap into mm. some of this because the work that we did, you know, it felt it felt somehow more immediate and also more subtle. Like it wasn't as big mm. as being on stage. Yeah. Um, but you know, and I think about the quality of the writing uh, and how that you know you obviously want something that paints a really great picture of the space, mm. but that's not enough. Like when you walked me through, you know, communicating with my voice, how Jamie mm-hmm. feels about that space, yeah. you know, that was such an essential component to like, Oh, these words aren't actually going to speak for themselves now because we're doing this in a different, like you said, it's a translation. It's an act, mm. it's a, you know, it's an adaptation of, this piece of writing, because you're not just reading it on the page. You're not having your own private experience of what those words mean to you. You're reading it in such a way that you're telling a story and you really want to paint that picture for your listener. And that is, it was a very unique challenge. And I personally really loved it. I think some mm. actors might find the uh, the stop and start frustrating or difficult yeah. to get used to. Um I love directions, so I was eating it up. <laughs> it's like, this is so great. Give me all the directions. You let's stop again. Okay, great. Um, but yeah, I think it, for sure, I know people who just want to like dig into what they're doing. And I think a lot of actors would get that opportunity because not all audio books are directed as well. A lot of people, um, well, I mean, again, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but budget is usually the thing that decides whether or not there's a director on a project. Sure. Um, and so being an actor who is able to dig in and really kind of do that work for themselves and direct them really like with that um, skill of another eye, mm-hmm. that's going to be really useful as well. But if you're someone who loves direction, um, mm-hmm. it's so it. I love the idea that you can just stop, start, say, can we do it again? And then that is captured in the final piece so perfectly as if it was seamless and- Right. <laughs> As if there were no stops and starts at all. Yeah, at all. Oh, yeah. We, we I mean, yeah, I've lifted the veil a little bit. Forget that. It was a perfect, flawless performance. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. We had to work hard to get such a great performance because that's what art is because as well. Because that's what art is. If it seems yes. easy, that means they worked their butts off to make it seem easy. Right. Absolutely. And the idea of audiobooks, um, you want them to really feel spontaneous. Like mm. my favorite audiobooks, I, f- I want to feel like it is the um, narrator kind of going through it and experiencing it with you as opposed to like a really polished, perfect practice performance. Yeah. The thing is, it is a really polished, perfect practice performance, right. right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's that old adage of like, if you see a play or a movie and you don't really think about um, how it came together, that's, you know, that's great direction. It's you're mm. watching something that was really well directed because y- you're not seeing the, the the cracks in it. Yeah, you know. And then if you see the cracks in it, you go right to blaming the actors. Like that, <laughs> that performance yeah, just blame was the, terrible. It's <laughs> blame the face. Yeah. Blame the thing you can see without thinking that there are hundreds of people involved right. in that creation. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we've talked about it a little bit, but how how was the process of recording it for you? 
I mean, I thought it was really fun. I think that um, I think that most actors I know, and I I don't want to make blanket statements or like speak for the community of actors, but because <laughs> <laughs> they're very varied, obviously. Um, but I think most actors are actors because they love you know new experiences and challenges, mm. and you love to delve into new situations and. Uh, explore different creative mediums and all of that because that's what you do every single time you take on a new role even if it's like you're showing up on set or you're going into your rehearsal room to be on stage every single time you're embodying a new space and a new experience and a new perspective so for me that just translated into like oh I've you know this is not exactly something I've done before I know this much about it just a tiny smidgen about how it works thanks to Robin mostly Mm-hmm. And uh, I just so happened to had talked, to her, you know, I had talked to her about her process of being in a booth and recording the thing, yeah. and, you know, doing the stopping and starting and all of that. So I had a glimmer of what to expect, but it was just so much more fun than I really, you know, I hadn't put too many expectations on it, but it was so fun. And it was just really, and I'm sure there's something also to the fact that this was a story that I wrote. So bringing it to life was really cool and then hearing it was I know you want to talk about that too can I just segue yeah (laughs) let's let's go straight into the hearing too what was hearing it like I mean I I know that there are um it's strange because it was almost like I forgot it was me reading it at one point which was really cool um and I loved the the things that you did with it to elevate it especially with the the reverberation on the microphone. I had so much fun with that. <laughs> that was really great and felt like that's exactly how it felt, you know? Like, yeah. that was one of those moments. Because, you know, th- so I will I will go ahead and lift the veil again to say that the things that I took that from very real life were the carpet. That was mm-hmm. like a really real carpet. Wow. In- <laughs> and then also um, the podium had this sort of weird echoey I mean it really was set up like some sort of Super Bowl healthcare leadership <laughs> conference it was really strange and surreal um so that you captured that reverberation so perfectly and I you know oh, great tried to make light of it and nobody engaged with me on that um <laughs> that was all very awkward like you make a joke and it's like crickets yeah exactly exactly and then you know and then mm. I found myself kind of like almost experiencing it like it was the first time, even though I was there and then I wrote the story based on certain mm. things. Like when I told you that the keynote speaker really did oh my goodness. use the story of her mother's death to talk about patient care. Um, that was a wow. real thing that happened. And in listening to it in the story, I it hit me like, oh, God, was that really real? Did that really happen? Because that seems so intense and surreal. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really fascinating to listen to it and experience it in a whole different way. Yeah, I think you've really captured um, the sense of, again, I'm going to use dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. I I just kind of, I had it written all over my marked up (laughs) manuscript, like just so dissatisfied, this idea of um, kind of, feeling like a stranger in your own life is kind of what we I, yeah. I was going for and yes. what you just you were so responsive I, like working with authors is always really interesting you get to really dig into what they had wanted and mm-hmm. what they had what they had envisaged for it yeah. um and I mean I've been very lucky with a lot of the people I've had on the podcast with all of them they've all been able to give a brilliant narration of uh, of their characters of their experience um and then working with um 
an actor where you kind of make a noise at them and you're like, kind of give it a bit of, you know, a uh, feeling. Um, and and they go, got it. And off they go. And then, and you're like, aha, they've been talked to like this before. Um, and when you're talking to someone else, obviously you have to kind of craft it a little bit more eloquently. Sure. You know, don't make sort of noises at people and expect them to understand. Um, but it was just such a real uh, delight having one, you the author, but also you the actor kind of really uh, really making it come to life. And I love the fact that it feel, feels new to you. I, like, I find that to be quite incredible um, as, as an actor and author. Yeah, it really was. You know, I got to the end of the story lis- listening to it for the first time and I just kind of kicked me in the gut a little bit. Like, wow. Oh. I, and, and then I thought, oh, I wrote that. That Wow. <laughs> it's not too shabby. <laughs> and it's interesting because, I mean... Although a lot of it was your experience, so I guess that you had like a real, you probably didn't have to dig too much to kind of find that empathy, that emotion that, you know, an actor needs in order to get some real sort of sense of authenticity in it. But you didn't write it for you to narrate it. No, I didn't. But it is so perfectly, you you captured the voice so perfectly. So talk me through what it was like, kind of, what did you have to change about sort of what you thought or... Or what you thought it was going to be. Tell me about that. I mean, I think the nuances involved, um, you know, because when you're with that piece in particular, I I was having a very dissatisfied day, as you put it. (laughs) (laughs) One might even say deeply dissatisfied. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I've had many of those days. Like it's it, like you said, the empathy is not something that is hard for me to access because it is very much my lived experience a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, weaving in the sort of, uh, lighter moments and the nostalgia and, I loved that. and connecting to, you know, her love of her art that still is in her, even if, mm. even if it's, you know, this small little ember that isn't activated right now, it's still something mm-hmm. that's very present. So it, you know, I think I was prepared for the disgruntled <laughs> piece of it but it was you know finding those you know really bringing in the sort of wonder that you guided me toward and the you know talking about it with all the love and reverence that she has for her work even if it is currently in a garage and then you know and then what does it mean that it's currently in a garage so you know really taking um taking the the many different layers of of what someone who's in that experience is is going through all at the same time you know it's not mutually exclusive um your just dis- your despair and your dissatisfaction is coming from the fact that you aren't allowed to live your days expressing that wonder and that love and that joy mm-hmm. so i think that was a surprise to me was tapping into all of that simultaneously and and i i guess this kind of goes straight into the what new things did you take from hearing it? Was there anything that kind of actually surprised you? I mean, it surprised me how affected I was by the ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kick in the gut was a surprise to me. I was like, mm. oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Poor I mean, that's terrible. <laughs> I know. Um, which is, you know, it was surprising because I, it was it had already been spoiled for me. It came from my own brain. I knew what was going to yeah. happen. I, you know, I knew where her thoughts were going to go. I've talked with a few other writer friends about it. And, you know, sometimes if you're writing a really difficult or painful scene, 
um, you are feeling it. You know, I've, I've talked to friends right. about writing on planes and just sitting there typing and crying. And like, what is this? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> is she okay? Yep. You know, um, and then you go back and you revisit it. And it is surprising that it came from you and, and that that is a thing that you created. So I think, um, yeah, I think there were definitely moments that made me chuckle. And then there was that, that ending really was the, the, the real surprise because... I I saw it coming and I still felt it. Yeah, it's one of the things we haven't spoken about um, is the fact that it is a very short, short story. So it, short. Is, <laughs> I, it might be, is it treading the grounds between flash fiction? I'm not sure. I, it, yeah, I'm not it sure might what be. the definition is. Yeah, I know. I, I think it. I've, I've seen flash fiction that's like, a thousand words and then 500 words so I have no idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, th- I think it's just, just on that cusp between them and I think to be able to have got that much sort of character and setting and real sense of what she was going through in like three pages in a sort of 1.5 space yeah. uh, sort of script um, it was just really really effective and to be able to get that real emotional ending um, and like I, I when I finished listening to it after having edited through um, you know it really it got me too and I was like wow that's kind of really amazing in three three pages it's what like six minutes 50 or something like that yeah it's short but like yeah it's re- it was really powerful and I just would never have expected something that short to get me so quickly thank you that's very kind. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in like how the experience kind of has changed your sort of feelings about audiobooks, audio productions, not just as a listener, because I know you had your listening experience is at the moment one book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but also as a performer, I'm really interested um, in that. And also, like, is, is it something you'd consider? Would you go into audio narration I think you'd be great (laughs) thank you yeah absolutely I you know like I said there's definitely I have I hold myself to some high standards as anyone who knows me will attest so there's part of me that does feel like oh I'd want to go back and study dialects some more and maybe um, brush up on languages and things like that but in the short term absolutely I mean it um, I will say that I, you know, Robin's book is the only whole book that I've listened to, but um, there's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast um, oh, nice. that I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of right now, something about history. Um, and he is such a storyteller, like he's such a storyteller. And it's mm. and it feels to me like, you know, someone who's really in the material and not just like yeah. reading and, you know, reading a script. Da, 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 da. Um, so things like that also really appeal to me. Like, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about the difference between reading nonfiction and fiction. And um, I feel like I'd be open to both. I feel like it's all very fascinating. I think I, you know, I love the uh, experience of it and working with you is so great. And yeah, I think um, for sure, I'm 100% open to pursuing this further. I genuinely mean it when I say I think you'd be great. I think um, you have a real sort of sensitivity with the narration and a sense of spontaneity, which I'm always looking for in my uh, in the audiobooks that I'm listening to. Like I just I want to feel like I'm experiencing it with um, the narrator. 
Um, and yeah, I think you you just did that so beautifully with this. And I'd love to see what you did with a 12-hour audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The, since we are on another audio medium, people can't see that you're making me blush with all these compliments. <laughs> <laughs> well, if everyone else, which I'm sure they will have enjoyed your narration, uh, your performance, your writing um, as much as I did, uh, where can listeners find you if they want more? Well, my website is Elizabeth Maud. That's M A U D dot com. Um, the Irish spelling of the name. Uh, <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of stuff on there. I'm actually trying to revamp it, but um, under performance, <laughs> under performance is where I keep links to things like my um, my voiceovers and uh, which are very few and far between. I did. I didn't mention this, but for the the very first experience I had was doing um, a documentary narration actually mm-hmm. ages and ages and ages ago um cool. I, I was just working at a nonprofit, and a co-worker wanted to do a, a film about some people in southern minnesota who were trying to fight you know a land grab situation and we went down mm-hmm. there and we interviewed folks and i was the interviewer and then i did the narration for the piece and um so that's up there and just the narration <laughs> i never got <laughs> the uh, copy of the full film but it's you know so it's me telling a story about what's happening there um mm-hmm. So things like that are all on my website. Um, And then you also have links to more of my writing and things like that as well. What about your films? Can we find your films? Yes, my short films are both linked to under, I think those are under writing um, because I wrote them. Although I do make an appearance in one of them. Um, And then toward, um, well, I think it's up there now, actually. Both of the films should be on the Stowe Story Labs alumni website. short film program page which is a mouthful but it's s-t-o-w-e like stowe vermont uh-huh. stowe story labs alumni films is probably something you could google um it's a page on vimeo and they are featuring a bunch of work of alumni and since i've i've been to one of their labs they have a couple of my shorts up there and um yeah so you can see those as well great thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today it's been such a pleasure yeah it's been delightful thank you so much for having me Thank you so much to Elizabeth for sharing her story and process with us this week. Teddy Merricks for the music, sound effects and logos, Barnabas D. Kirk for his vocals, and thank you, of course, for listening. I'd love it if you could take a second to show the podcast some love. Share it on your social, force your family to listen to it in the car, give it a review. It would mean so much to me. If you're interested in getting involved, either by submitting your short story or having a chat with me about audiobooks, you can find more info and contact details on my website at englishgirlinnewyork.org. I also hang around on Instagram at aliciasbooks.n.bobs, as in books and bobs. This was In Short, the podcast from Blanket Fort Productions. See you all next time. <laughs>